and welcome back to the Self-Initiative Project Podcast. I'm your host, Jim O'Brien, and we're episode 29. And today, I've got on my special guest, Randy King of KPC Self-Defense and Randy King Live. How are you, Randy? I'm doing excellent. How are you, Jim? Awesome, awesome. You know, you have the distinguished honor of being our first international guest on our podcast so congratulations all the way from uh, edmonton alberta canada yeah if this was europe i'd be four countries away from you for sure i'm definitely far away (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a it's a little bit of a drive for sure it is it's yeah it's a hike (laughs) yeah and i remember well if i think i remember so we're both uh connected on instagram and i've been following you around for a while um just being in the in the same uh community and whatever and i remember uh it's just been in the last month month and a half that you had a post and you asked hey if i were to go traveling around doing seminars with rory miller would anyone Mm -hmm. be interested and i think i said well if you got down to atlanta or nearby i would definitely be interested in doing that and we went back and forth a little bit and you said well we'll talk about it we could talk about it on your podcast wink wink and i was like hey great we we can do it so um i'm definitely the king of uh shameless self-promotion i was like hey if you want to talk about the podcast let's do this thing i was like that's pretty slick i've got to get him props for that so we're going to make this thing happen if we can um i've got it work yeah yeah so um before we get started and whatever we're going to cover today uh usually just take a few minutes however much time and talk about yourself for as much as you like and you know who you are what you do what your background is how you got to where you are all that fun stuff sure so i'll give you the abridged version of this if people want to know more obviously you can check out my youtube channel i'm sure we'll do promotions at the end but i have a whole like seven minute descriptor video on kind of who i am and what i do but the uh cliff notes for the u.s listeners cole's notes up here is the same thing i was gonna say cole's notes is canadian yeah but the, the cliff notes is i was a extremely chubby kid who got bullied a lot and yep. I started watching the Power Rangers, noticed the Power Rangers didn't get bullied, decided to take martial arts. And that's like the start of this whole insane journey that's taking me to today. So I started in Taekwondo because Edmonton is the Taekwondo capital of Canada. We have more Taekwondo schools here per capita than anywhere else. So it was the most available martial arts. And I think that's where most people start is what's the closest thing to my house? What's the most accessible art that I can get to? Yeah, so I, I started in Taekwondo. Yeah, and I don't know what? if you guys have more Taekwondo schools up there or we do down here. I think it's like Starbucks down here. There's like one on every corner. Taekwondo did a phenomenal <laughs> job of systemizing and attacking a specific market like they, they're crushing it. I want some yeah. of that Taekwondo money. They're, they're doing really well. Yeah. But yeah, so started Taekwondo, uh, got up to uh, Black Belt and started like branching out as you do with the martial arts, right? You start sure. in your one local club and then they bring in instructors, etc. So I started branching out a little bit and decided that I wanted to become a bouncer. So I wanted to do nightclub security. I didn't feel like going to college. I had a bunch of trophies. I thought I was king of the badasses. Um, and I, I wasn't, I found out very quickly. So became a bouncer. And when I started bouncing, that's when I say the wave of reality hit the cliff or the, the wave of my ego hit the cliff of reality and kind of shattered some things. So yeah. I thought that Taekwondo was an all encompassing art because that's how it was presented. Now, sure. not to date, not to date myself 
too much, but uh, I'm pre-internet, so I couldn't just like Google is this bullshit, right? Like we have things now, like, right. right? Like we have things now, like McDojo and we have the websites. There's people talk fake martial arts, bullshito. There's yep. a ton of resources now for people to find out like what's important. But in my day, you just had to take the word of the dude talking to you. Yeah, and absolutely. if he was a good salesperson, he just, you did it right. Yep. I'm telling you the yeah. things you want so, to hear. Exactly. Tell you things you want to hear has the right pictures with the right people has the right magic pieces of paper on the wall and special frames you're like right oh this is the spot right <laughs> i'm home uh, exactly so my first fight in a bar i got my butt absolutely kicked by a 50 year old out of shape biker and that kind of <laughs> woke me up i was like whoa I'm, I'm 19 and i was i was in shape back then i'm not now but i was in shape then yeah. and i was i thought i was this invincible killing machine and it that's yeah. just not what happened so that was kind of my first view into what got me to where I am today. So I started looking at more, uh, more contact art. So, uh, Thai boxing, standing wrestling, submission wrestling, yeah. uh, Filipino martial arts. Actually, I'm really big into FMA. I actually was in the Philippines training for two months under some grandmasters. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so I got, I got really into that and then I got stabbed and I've been stabbed multiple times, but the, the one that got me was this, this major one. That's the one that kind of shifted my focus from, physical skills to what, what I do more now, which is the soft skills, the, the education, the psychology, the yeah. reaction time, the stress response that happens. Yeah. And then, so that's kind of how KPC started is I wanted to give people the information I wasn't given. I didn't want to just tell people like, now that you have a black belt, you are a God of war. I wanted them right. to have like a real picture of what violence was like. And sure. a huge, huge, huge jump with that was the guy you mentioned earlier, Rory Miller. I am a very fortunate person that I found number one, not only that I found Rory Miller's book. So if your listeners don't know who he is, that'd be crazy if you don't, but if you don't uh, check out meditation on violence, facing violence, I think those are his two best books. Fantastic. He, he, yes. His, his view matched up with what I had experienced. And it was the first time somebody was speaking to me, uh, about violence in a way that I experienced it. Because like I said, Marshall Journey got a black belt. Then I was a full-time bouncer. Now I know when people say they're bouncers, like they bounce on the weekends at college. I was a full-time bouncer and security Full specialist. On. I was yeah. there, yeah, six days a week, 11 years of my life. I was doing close protection. I was a full-time bouncer. I was head of security. I did event security. So it's not like yeah. I you know, did this in college. I was doing this for a very long time. Yeah, you weren't a dab. And then... Exactly. Yeah. No. When it comes to bouncing and Edmonton back in the day was crazy. There was an oil boom up here and it, it, that brought a whole host of problems. Uh, a certain so element. Red Roy, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it just attracts like, I don't want to say easy money because working on the rigs is very physically hard, but yeah. it's easy when you're young and that attracts like, I don't want to go to school. I know everything. I'm going to go make $200,000 a year. Yeah. And also, you know, drug drugs exist. And yeah. so people make poor choices. Yeah. So yeah. So, uh, very lucky, got to meet Rory. Uh, we became very fast friends, which is kind of crazy because our personalities are exceptionally different. Sure. Um, and he became my he became my mentor, and now I'm very lucky to uh, be part of the Violence Dynamics team and to go on this road trip with Rory Miller that we're planning for next year. So yeah. it was a it's been a pretty cool experience. But yeah, long story short, fat kid did martial arts, found out martial arts was fake, weapons got involved, and then started seeking more realistic uses of force and violence. Yeah. 
So you said you had a black belt in or have a black belt in Taekwondo. And I know you also have multiple levels, multiple degrees of black belt in modern yeah. Arnis. And I know yeah. uh, Arnis is stick sticks and Filipino in nature. But can you talk about a little bit about that and um, how it is incorporated into what you're doing now? Because I found that interesting, too. Absolutely. So uh, I, I would say had, I can't kick over my head anymore. So I don't have a black belt Taekwondo. I had one at one point in time Yeah. Um, with the, with the modern Arnis, uh It was, I actually got that through a guy named Kelly Warden, very amazing instructor, legendary in the industry, especially for FMA, uh, FMA being Filipino martial arts. If your listeners don't know the shorthand, I don't want to be that guy. Sure. So drop an acronym. Uh, why it, yeah, exactly. Dropping cool acronyms in my cargo pay, my cargo <laughs> shorts that are camouflaged. Um, so, <laughs> so modern East really attracted me after I got stabbed. So I've had multiple weapon encounters pulled on me. I've had uh, knives and bats. I got dragged by a car. A bunch of crazy stuff happened wow. in my 11 years of bouncing. Yeah. yeah. Again, it was a wild time. And also, you know, when you work a job like that full time, like this wasn't every day, yeah. but over 11 years, you're going to see crazy. It. Exactly. Yeah. So th- that's, that's what really attracted me to the Filipino martial arts. And I really like the saying that I heard when I first started taking it. So I actually started with the Inosado blend. So I was at a JK, a G Kundo school, JKD, Bruce Lee's martial art. Yep. And Dan Inosanto, legend again in the industry. If you don't know who Dan Inosanto is, look at him. He's nuts. I do. Uh, nuts is a good, not a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyways, I did the Inosanto blend. So I was doing a, a Filipino system. And then I really, and then a guy, Kelly Warden, came to Edmonton. I did a seminar with him and his natural spirit system. And that was, again, it just started clicking, right? Like, oh, this makes sense. And the saying that really hit me was, you don't go to war and look for a weapon. You bring a weapon to war. And sure. that's the, the, the FMA thought process, right, is yeah. if you can have weapons on you, that would make sense. But the thing that attracted me was, if you understand how to use a knife, then you understand how a knife can be used. And I didn't want to get stabbed again. Uh, right. Again, so yeah. yeah, not again. So I've had, I had got one in the face. I got one in the face, one, in the leg. And I, so my joke, this is my, uh, my bad joke, but I'm going to tell it anyways. Cause I love it. So I say, I like to say I got stabbed two and a half times. So I yeah. got one in the face. That wasn't a big deal. I yeah. got one, in the leg that was going for my neck and then I got a fork. So I count the fork as half, but as a marketing, as a marketing guy, I want to count each prong. So what if I got stabbed six times? I was going to, I was going to say that's not half. That's four. Yeah. That's just basic exactly, math. Yeah, man. You got times. four holes for the price of one. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and that one, of all the stabs, that one pissed me off the most. It was just insane. This guy just pulled a fork and stabbed me. And I looked <laughs> at it and I looked at him. Anyway, so yeah. going back to what I was saying, so yeah. the FMA really attracted me because they were showing me stuff that I thought at times was realistic. There's, there's a lot in the traditional systems that uh, is wanting for realistic violence, but yep. it's a it's a much closer touch point than than my original art. That's for sure. So Absolutely. I got really I got really obsessed with it. I have post concussion syndrome from all the fights I was in, so I had a lot of head injuries, and uh, I was actually not allowed to spar for years and years and years and years and years. So I couldn't do the pressure testing, wrestling, boxing that I love to do so much. So I really got attracted to the weapons because in my head, I was like, if you take a machete to the head, you're done. <laughs> so, yeah. right? Like, so yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter about my concussions anymore. That's actually what got me out of bouncing in general was just too many, too many brain injuries. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 
So, so talking about your your uh, close encounters with the bladed, the edged weapons. Yeah. What is your uh, how do I want to ask? What is your takeaway as far as differences in training versus the realities of edge uh, weapons? Because you know, so many schools, Krav Maga included, because I have a Krav background, and I think you do too. Mm-hmm. They really. I do. Um, I don't want to say sensationalize, but, you know, draw students in. That'll be a part of some of the seminars and it's cool yeah. and sexy, but it is not reality for knife fights. You want, you want to talk about a little bit about your experience there? Of course we can. Yeah. So this is one of my big things. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but why I brand my stuff realities of violence is I'm a huge research nerd. And I like yeah. to look at like, instead of, and because I had so much BS fed to me when a knife, and I, I can't agree with you more. Knife is sensationalized. It is this, this thing. And I think the biggest takeaways for me is violence always has goals. So when we look at people look at knife, fighting or knife combat or self-defense versus the knife. And these are all different things. But when we look at that, they, they just tend to focus on the knife and not why the person is using a knife. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. my, my biggest takeaway is what is the intent of the person? What in my experience and my very limited experience of like, I've had 18 knives pulled on me in my entire life. Only three, well, two got me in a fork, yeah. but uh, <laughs> the other ones, like m- m- most of the time, if you can see the weapon, the weapon's intent is not use. So if I'm flashing a knife at you, my intent is not to stab you with the knife. My intent is to use the knife to as an exclamation point to my request or demand, right? So I want to come in, give me your money. They're going to pull this one, get in the van. They're using the weapon as as a conversation piece. So you're scared while they're making their demand. Again, another FMA Filipino martial arts saying is the blade is melt. The blade is meant to be felt, not seen. Not seen. Every time a knife, yeah. Every time a knife has come at me, when I've been stabbed, I, I didn't know a knife was present. So I didn't mm. know a knife was present in the major encounter. So I think that's my biggest takeaway is if a knife is being shown, I'm not saying they're not going to stab you. You can right. definitely talk yourself into a stabbing. 100% yeah. you can do that. <laughs> yeah. But if the knife is being presented, it's, it's being used as part of the demand that's happening or in this social kind of violence, this hierarchy situation. If a person truly wants to harm you with a knife, you're not going to know a knife is present. So your training has to, especially for training for sudden violence, it has to be very similar. Like whatever thing you do to block a low punch or to stop a low attack has to be able to adapt to a knife. Because if you think that you're going to see the knife and know you're in a knife situation and you have to switch to your knife fighting form, yep. that's not going to work in real life. It's just, it's just not. Almost everybody I know who's been stabbed and I hear it a lot because I work I work with one of, I think, the biggest demographic variants on the planet. I work with white-collar CEOs. I work with uh, athletes who are playing football. Yep. I also work on the First Nations Reserves, and I work with kids at risk and martial arts. So I work with everybody. Sure. When, I, when I'm on the reserve, I'm working with people from the First Nations, indigenous people. I don't know what, what your uh, PC term is down there. We say indigenous or First Nations up here in Canada. Sure. But uh, so, so like um, when I'm working with them on the reserve, like being stabbed, like when I go to a, when I go to like a corporate event, when I say I got stabbed, they're like, oh, oh my God. When I go yeah. to reserve, like how many times? Right. We like share stabbing <laughs> stories, right? Yeah. <laughs> we want the details. So Exactly. So it's a totally different experience, right? I had this really cool bonding experience with this former uh, gang 
player in on a reserve. And he was like, I'm trying to stab this at that couple. He's like, I got stabbed six times. Like, oh, what happened to you? And then we like shared stories and kind of bonded over the shared experience of having a knife enter our flesh. Yeah. It was, it was fascinating. But all, everybody that I talked to about this, if the knife is being used, all, most people don't see it. And so yeah. I know I'm long answer to your short question, big takeaway as I talk all day is you're not, you're probably not going to see it coming if they're truly intending to hurt you with it. If they pull a knife and they're using the conversation and you force them to use it, that's different. But if your self-defense training is forcing somebody to stab you, there's there's a glitch in your self-defense training. You're doing something wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, you know, sidetracked, of course, we don't really have an agenda today, so I don't know if it's technically yeah, a side sidetrack, but I asked because I knew going through my research that you had had at least one knife encounter and having mm-hmm. trained in Krav the way I have, I've seen a lot of that training, static and dynamic. And, you know, I know it's yep. utilized in all the little seminars to lure folks in and all of mm-hmm. that good stuff. So I think, you know, your story uh, illustrates two points. Uh, there's nothing, well, actually more than that, but there's nothing glamorous about getting into a knife fight or thinking that you're going to nope. be able to get through a knife fight. Um, you're likely not going to ever see the knife before it's out and or in you, which is something that's not really ever directly addressed in some of these yeah. classes and seminars. And the third, which was always been mine is this shit doesn't work. Right. At least not yeah. all the time. So uh, that's why I wanted to talk about that. Awesome. We can talk about as much as you want. I love, I love talking about knife stuff because like you said, right. There's so, there's so much, um, mythos around it in the in the industry i like to make the joke everybody's like oh we want to hire randy for like knife defense like why don't you hire somebody that didn't get stabbed clearly i failed right (laughs) i don't know why you You failed the litmus test yeah Yeah. exactly well well, i think i think think if nothing else it makes you a professional knife fighter at this point you know there's very few of those because they're all dead 100 (laughs) percent. i definitely have professional knife fighter as a tribal tattoo on my bicep i don't i'm just kidding right right. Uh, so but it's it's interesting because like if you look at the stats on it, like a knife being used, at least here in Canada, is is relatively low, unless you're in a life of violence, right? So if you hang out with violent people, I'll carry knives, and obviously the likelihood of it increases. And yes, I get the marketing draw that people want people to come to classes. Yep. So we'll talk about knife defense. We do it here too. We have a knife defense program in our in our curriculum at KPC, obviously. Sure. Um, but the it's the it's the reality of it is like the most likely the person's going to stab you is it might be you know your spouse because you cheated that's way more likely than all these like back alley encounters that people are training yeah. for where they're training cut for cut yeah. and if you're my specialization is is civilian based self defense i don't i've worked with police i've worked with military i have all the patches and i've done all that stuff <laughs> sure. but that's not that's not where my focus is. My focus is on everyday people who are doing this. Now, right. if you're looking at everyday people, the odds of you getting stabbed are, are very, very low. The odds yeah. of you getting um, forced through somebody psychologically overwhelming you or somebody just grabbing and hitting you, that's way higher. And it's still pretty low, but if you look at violent crime, yep. knife is low, gun is low. Uh, obviously, we're at a interesting point in history, at least in your country, where obviously gun violence, it seems, I don't know if it's on the rise, but a lot more of it is on TV uh, because of what's happening with the protesting and the riots and all of the things. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not going to get political. I'm just adding it to nope. caveat to the research Absolutely. is that uh, like gun is in, in the U S a little bit higher. 
up here and almost in almost every other country, gun crime is lower because guns are harder to access. And that's what we have to understand is access to the weapon is what's going to make it happen. Because most of the time in social violence, at least the people aren't planning to get into an altercation, right? It's not a plan. They're not like, Oh, I can't wait to road rage today. Right. Oh, I can't wait to right. That's not, that's yeah. not what happens. So whatever's accessible is what's going to get used. Yep. So that's why it's mostly fists and, you know, bats and that kind of stuff. But then at, if you have a gun on you and you're mad, then obviously a gun can come into play. I'm not saying that's good or bad. Just looking at the numbers, it's accessibility to the tool yep. is what's going to indicate the tool. So if the person's coming to kill you and they bring a knife, then odds are high you're going to get into a knife encounter. But even in like my situation, when the person wanted to hurt me with the knife, they had to have the knife on them. And that's why I've only had, like I said, 18 and 18 sounds like a lot. Yeah. Most of those are people just flashing a knife or like trying to scare me with the knife, creating a barrier, but 18 encounters out of, I can't even count how many times I told angry drunk people. No. Yeah. So like yeah. statistically it's like point zero 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 whatever, even though right. 18 sounds cool. Like I'm a tough guy. Right. But that's yep. not what I'm trying to say. No, no. Out of 11 years as a full-time job, I saw 18 weapons. Yeah. So one point, one point two times, three times a year. <laughs> exactly. whatever, whatever the math works out to be. Yeah, not a lot in the overall scheme yeah. of things. Exactly. And not, and not even all of those are trying to go into me. Only a couple were. Like, most of them were like, oh, I have a knife. What now? And I'm like, same answer. Please leave. Right? So right. It's, it's, it was an interesting shift. So I think one of my biggest, I think, talking points in this industry is train for your environment and train for what you're worried about. Like, if you are a... If you're an accountant and you drive from your alarmed building with security in your alarmed car to your alarmed home, like, do you need to know Navy SEAL knife tactics? No, you probably don't, probably right? Don't. Like, and, and most people's um, reason for trading is to keep them and their families safe, yep, right? Absolutely. So the safest your family can be is if you're with your family. So every time you leave your family to go train at the dojo, you're actually Exposing not them. doing the thing you're trying to do. Right. Yep, yep, so agreed. I'm not saying don't right. Awesome. So I'm not saying don't train. What I'm saying is you have to make sure your training time fits the problems you're going to have. Yep. Because if your mantra is I do this for my family, then every time you take your knife versus knife commando course, you're not with your family. And if that is the actual goal, which often it isn't, but if that is your actual goal, then this is counterintuitive. Yep. So you should make your training match. Like I'm, I'm almost 40. I'm 40 in January. Yeah. I don't, I have a daughter. I have a fiance. I have a business. Like I'm not, when I was 20, I could take everything like, Oh, what's this African martial art? Sure. I'll spend six hours learning this. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I don't have that time anymore. I right. have responsibility. So I have to, pick and choose what I'm learning in order to get the best bang for the buck for the problems I'm facing. And yeah. right now as a almost 40 year old overweight dude, nobody's messing with me. It's right. pretty fine. So I just train to keep up for fitness, right? Boxing, yeah. some weapon stuff, obviously, but it's, I really would love people to like make a list of why they want to train. And that's how you're going to not get roped in by these, these BS artists. Yep. If, if you, if you don't stand for anything, you fall for everything is the saying. Yep. If you don't know what your training is for, then anybody can hook you. Like I right. do BJJ, but when I do BJJ, everything we do, I'm not, I'm not coding into my brain unless I'm going for a test or whatever. Right. I'm only using the stuff that I know would work in real life for me, for my problem. Take but away. Yeah. if you have that, yeah. And if you have that lens, then you can take any art 
and you won't build the bad habits that exist. And I think yeah. that's really important is people just go to the class and then they outsource their problem solving to this instructor they're paying as opposed to walking in with set goals of why they're doing this. Yep. And if you walk with set goals, you're going to do much, much better. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. That's a really good point. Um, I know. And of course I haven't had the time to listen to all your podcast and I want to, and I've watched some of your videos, but you were talking about in your intro video, which I think you referenced earlier on your website, you were talking about the four areas that you can more expect violence to occur versus what they try to teach you in all of these schools. Uh, you said bars, uh, if you were having an affair and what, what were the yeah. other two? So I think this is my, one of my, uh, it's kind of my general saying, right. But don't yeah. go to places where people get their minds altered. Right. Yep. That's, that's number one. Yep. Uh, so if you go to a drug house, your odds of violence are going <laughs> to go to a bar, yeah, your yeah. odds of violence are going up. It's just yep. right. So don't go to places where people get their minds altered. Yep. Number two is don't get a job where you tell people no, because you get a job where you tell people no, some people aren't going to like that. Yeah. Uh, only sleep with the people you're allowed to sleep with. So don't like if you cheat on your spouse, that that could cause a, a higher level of violence, right? Sure. And those are, I think, the three major. I know there's a fourth one that's not coming in top of my head right now, but those three ones don't don't get a job where you tell people no. I wonder if Rory would. I wonder if uh, Rory would say prison or jail. <laughs> prison office, right? That, that's very true. I think he would add that. And there's lots of subsets, right? Like, yeah. if you get a job as a force professional, you're going to run into force. But mostly, like, sleep with who you're going to sleep with. Don't don't break those uh, agreements. Oh yeah. Also, don't join a violent organization and then betray that violent organization. So that's the right. four. Yeah. So number yeah. one, I knew it would come to me. Number one is don't get a job where you tell the public no. Right. Number two is uh, don't try not to go to places where people get their minds altered. Yeah. Number three, uh, people you're allowed to sleep with. Number four, don't join a violent organization. And if you do join that organization, don't betray them. Now, the the caveat to this is those are the four ways you can definitely, you know, not you'll you'll run into much less violence if you have those four categories. But like where people get their minds altered is also where all the funnest stuff happens, right? That's concerts, that's bars, that's uh, events, that's the carnival. So I'm not saying these rules are, if you want to live in your basement and have a tactical hula hoop and say that no man will ever approach you, that's cool. <laughs> that's your business. Yep. But we have to, we have to live in the world that we live in. And so just be aware. So when I say those four things, like I'm part of a violent organization, I fight people all the time at my gym. That's a violent organization. Yep. I go to places where people get their minds altered because I have a life. Yep. It's just in those spots. That's when you want your situational awareness to kick in. That's yep. where you want to be paying more attention. So I'm not saying don't, if you, if you want no violence to happen to you, definitely just Amazon, everything, use food order apps. Don't go to the grocery store, stay in your house. You're fine. Yep. As long as but, you don't leave the house. And I was having that conversation yeah. with someone this last uh, couple of weeks about this whole coronavirus thing. I'm like, they're like, well, you can't, you can't prevent it. It's impossible to prevent. I'm like, that's not entirely true. If everyone were to stay for, at home until it's gone that's how you could avoid it but that's not very practical right and probably not exactly. even very feasible and i agree and that's why i really like to point out that while these rules that i gave you are good rules they're some aren't feasible like you're gonna eventually go to your even like so everybody i heard people say this like oh i'm 50 i don't go to bars i'm like cool so if you're 
son turned 18 or I guess 21 where you're from, if your yep. son turned 21, are you not going to go have a drink with him? Well, yep. yeah. Well, so you're going to a bar again. Yep. Don't speak in absolute. That's insane to me with any time. That should be a red flag to all the listeners. Yep. Anytime an instructor speaks in absolutes about anything, yep. they haven't done that thing. The more experience you get with a subject, the more you realize there's so many soft parts of it and yep. it makes it a little bit harder. Yeah. One of my favorite instructors that I've had the good fortune over the years to train under a few times, his, uh, his saying is infamous and it's two words and it's, it depends and people, people, <laughs> is that, is people, that Ryan Hoover? Yeah, it is. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, people don't like that answer. But the reality is that's the perfect answer because it's, it's spot on. It depends. You change one element of anything and it changes the whole outcome potentially. So it depends. I, I agree. Ryan Hoover's on my bucket list of people to go meet. I keep trying to get the hard ready, but the world keeps not letting me do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, and I think that that shows his level of experience in the field he's talking about. Right. Yeah. He's, he's saying like, it depends Like it's when anybody asks, okay, so like the thing that drives me insane is the one quick tip mentality, right? So one quick tip for self-defense, if you do this, then you're going to be fine. And yep. that's just not, it's, they're oversimplifying something that's yeah. violence is such a part of us yeah. and it's so it's so intrinsic and you know you can have like peaceable people snap and go on a shooting spree you can have you know yeah. your grandmother your grandmother took the wrong medication and now she thinks everybody's demons and she's whipping things at you right <laughs> like there's just there's just so many yeah. things that happen here that, that people don't take into account i remember i was at a concert so i'm not advocating drug use to, to your listeners but yeah. i do partake sometimes and uh we were at a concert and my buddy took random things from some stranger, which sure. I do not do. Right. And he had a really bad time. <laughs> and yeah. he, he thought that we were like trying to bring him to the underworld and he was like fighting us tooth and nail. Oh my God. And this is the other thing that you have to understand when it comes to self-defense. And this is where I think Krav kind of pisses me off a little bit as a Krav practitioner. I'm going to pick on it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They have a very, they have a very like, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six mentality. Yep. But if, if, if all of your techniques are how to end a human being, if grandma has dementia, she doesn't deserve a throat pop, right? She doesn't deserve a, like a neck cranker. You have yeah. to have other skills. Yeah. So people need to realize that violence isn't always the monster in the alley who's going to harm you. Sometimes it's your autistic child. It's your friend who's yeah. having a bad drug reaction. It's uh, maybe your partner has mental health issues and yeah. they're in a depressive cycle, right? Like yeah. there's so many skills to this. And we're selling it as this like, so statistically speaking, when you look at violence, 30% of violence done to other people is done by strangers. The other 70% is done by people known to the victim. Yep. So, 30% so everybody's talking about this 30% that's actually pretty unlikely if you're not if you're not being a general d-bag like if you can't <laughs> you cut somebody off and don't know how to apologize yeah. then you're going to get into a fight that's yep. going to happen you might, it might right? happen but if you're yeah. a regular if, yeah if you're a regular polite human being you're probably not going to get to a lot of shit if you're outside what we say the magic demographic is that's the ages of 14 to 24 yep. from the ages of 14 to 24 that's where most people encounter most of their violence yep. not all people it does happen to kids it does happen to elders but lion's share of reported violence happens from 14 to 24 yeah outside of that because you're kind of doing yourself you're done you're done going to the crazy places you're done taking big chances usually yep. some people don't outgrow that ever but most people no. do <laughs> um 
But we're looking at that. That's that 30%, right? That's that, you know, two young bucks at the bar fighting over a girl or a drink or a stool or whatever they're fighting over. Yep. You Most know, violence, this is, go ahead. No, just go ahead. Sorry. That's, that's totally fine. Uh, I've been talking nonstop. The, uh, the, okay. the lion's share of violence, that 70%, it comes from people that are known to you. So it's yeah. your partner, it's your father, it's your, it's that creepy person at work. The, the relationship is being built. That's how stalking happens. That's how all these things happen is that 70% of people that know you, but nobody wants to talk about it because it's no. icky, right? There's, there's some quick answers. So if, if a guy approached you at the bar, what do you do? X, Y, Z, done. Yep. Okay. What if what if grandpa is molesting your son? Oh, no XYZ no, anymore. No, but that's violence, yeah, right? Yeah. That's the thing. And that's what that's what I try to tackle in all of my stuff is like, yes, you need to focus on this and it's cool. That's what put me that's what put me in the seats, right? That's the thirty percent of like yep. let's do nice defense. That's what gets people training. But you have to talk about the reality of this. And the reality is that you're more likely to be victimized by somebody you know. Yep. That's uncomfortable, but it's true. And every we use the creepy uncle as a joke. And I'm not trying to pick on uncles, but yep. it's it's uh, it's a trope, right? It's it's so it's funny that you bring up the creepy uncle because that's our thing. Like the one quote unquote soft technique that Krav has is getting out of wrist grabs, right? You know all of those, right? Uh, that's always the scenario. We say, okay, the one self soft technique that we have. You know, what if your drunk uncle grabs you? Here's what you can do. <laughs> Uh, and and it's been said time and time again. It's so funny. So you must use that well, uh, story too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I have a drunk uncle who used to like to try and drive home drunk, and we had a, a altercations every single time he tried to do it. So uh, I think we all have a drunk uncle. I, it's just how it is. It's just yeah, like, yeah. but but yeah. So I think that like when we're when we're talking about this stuff, I like to talk about the totality of it. And the problem is, is that. That's going back to Ryan Hooper's thing. It depends is so perfect is because it totally depends on who the person is, what the intent of the situation is, what tools are available and what are their motivations and relationships to you? Yeah. Because one of my biggest pet peeves in the industry, so I'm going off a little rant, but I'm kind of no. known for that, I guess, um, is I on, and if you've done this, I'm sorry. Anybody that puts up a poster of, you know, counter domestic violence seminar. Uh, I hate that. It drives me insane because yeah. if you're teaching them the 30% tactics for somebody that lives with them, all you're doing is escalating the abuser's ability to hurt that person. Yep. So if, if you're, if you're not planning on leaving, then no training is going to help you in that situation. You have to leave that situation yeah. in order for the training to work. The only microcosm in a domestic abuse cycle that self-defense physical skills training works is if the person's trying to prevent you from leaving. Yeah. That's the only time it makes sense. Because if you hurt that person and then stay in that house, the abuser doesn't all of a sudden become timid. Mm -mm. They're like, oh, we're playing Escalates. by prison rules now. Yeah. And they ed escalate. Exactly. Yeah. And so when any, ever anybody's like, oh, if you have a friend who's in a domestic abuse situation, come here. We'll teach him some moves. Yeah. Unless the next part of that is, and then they leave. Right. And they have a support structure to do that. Then all yeah. you're doing is you're making you're, that person's, you're creating an environment for them to get hurt even worse. And maybe to a level that they're just not ready for. And that's, that's terrifying to me. And so yeah. one of my big pet peeves in this industry is people selling like how to stop domestic violence. 
there's no there's no crop answer answer for that and that's yeah. not what crop was designed for yep. right so you're trying to put this crap into a box that it does not fit it and it it's reckless well crav's like at least in my experience with it crav is like a lot of other uh arts you know skills whatever you're being taught is that they spend very little time focusing on the majority of what especially let's say women are going to be faced against like you said uh you know Mm -hmm. someone you know or someone you're associated with versus the guy in the all black with the stocking cap on or the stocking pulled over his face you know jumping out behind the bushes or pulling up you know i can't tell you how many seminars where somebody would allow their windowless white painter's van to be pulled out back behind the school and then you know you put various female students and have them fight their way out okay the chances of that uh, yeah it could happen and we know going to location b is worse than location a all of that stuff but what are they more than likely going to come up against and so um as a side, I do have a sidebar note because you were talking about some statistics with 14 to 24 olds a minute ago. And I wanted to tell you, and I'm going to credit Beverly Baker with the Metropolitan Finishing School, which I think you also know. Uh, it seems like we yeah. all know each other in the community to some degree. Yeah. And, and I, I talked to her uh, f- several weeks ago. And one of the things I learned about her is she went through and got certified in the Understanding Violence course from Emory. And then when you and I started to talk about doing this, I noticed you had it too. So, uh, I just finished week two today earlier. So nice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I love that course. So, uh, if, if I'm correct and, uh, Beverly will definitely correct me if I'm not, uh, she, I took that course a long time ago. Sure. She then saw it on my website and was like, I want to take this course. Asked if it's worth it. And I, and I do think it's worth it because, from if I remember, because it was years ago I took it, uh, it was very interesting because I was the. It's Emory University is a very, and again I don't want to get political, but I'm more on the left side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Are. Yep. And I'm not right wing at all by any stretch of the imagination, sure. but uh, I am when it comes to self protection, right? So I'm kind of in the middle when it yep. comes to that. And it was fun for me because it was a bunch of. I actually thought I was going to fail the course, to be honest. So yeah. it was, they have like discussion boards you're supposed to talk on with people. Yep. And I was like counterintuitive guy. So they're like, what about this? And oh my God, I'm like, well, that's not true. This, this, this. And I was like taking more of a hard line kind of <laughs> conservative stance, yeah. I would say. And uh, I, I was argu- well, arguing, debating, because we weren't arguing. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't mad. We were, I was debating with the instructors and I'm like, well, they're going to fail me for sure. Uh, and they were like, no, we actually love this because, you know, we normally get people who are like-minded. It's weird yep. you took this class. Yeah. And it just had lots of really important stuff. Like, uh, I know you haven't probably got there yet, but like when they talk about Africa and using sex as a weapon, like that was pretty mind-opening for me. Yeah. I didn't know that was a thing. It makes sense that it is. But yeah, yeah. I highly recommend that course to anybody out there. It's great. It's uh, If you want to get a certificate, it's like, what, $49? But you can actually audit it for free. So you can go listen to everything, yep. learn everything everything for free if you're so inclined but i i'm in the midst of it and it's great and i'm glad uh, i discovered it uh, it's funny i guess beverly got it from you and i've got it from beverly so who knows who's going to be next that'll be kind of cool uh 
so back on track, I know we've kind of talked about it indirectly, but that was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today, too, from your perspective, uh, having been stabbed, having been in the security industry and teaching. And like I said, some of the things we've already been talking about indirectly, what are some of the fallacies that people should be aware of relative to finding or taking self-defense training for themselves today? Sure. So I covered a ton of this uh, in the course. I will, I'm sure we're talking about later, like you said, so yeah, I won't yeah. get too into it right now. No, no. But uh, I, I think, <laughs> okay, uh, I think the, the myths in the industry are, like number one, I already said it, the 70 versus 30, and that changes, it depends on changes, right? Like if you look at trafficking, it goes to 80% and 20%, but like most of the violence that happens to people, the victim knows the, the victim knows the perpetrator. And so this can be gang on gang violence, this yep. can be whatever, but there's some kind of relationship that's built. And the stranger danger, while it, do, while it does happen, it happens way less than the marketing is gonna tell you, and way less than Hollywood tells you, because Hollywood likes to sensationalize things. Oh yeah, so absolutely. What I, yeah, of course. And if, that's what, if they didn't, you wouldn't watch it. That's how it works. But the, I start all my seminars off. When I, used to, when I used to be a traveling instructor before COVID locked me in Canada, right. when I used to travel, I, I would start a lot of seminars with a very simple question, right? What do you think happens more often, serial killers or bar fights? And then everybody looks at me. I'm like, this is not a trick question. And they're like, bar fights? Agreed. They happen way more than serial killers all the time. Yep. What? do people talk about serial killers or bar fights? I'm like, well, serial killers. I'm like, yes, because humans like to hear the exceptions, not what's normal. Right. That's the problem with the industry today is they're always talking about the sensationalization stuff. They're not talking about the stuff you're going to run into the, the jerk in line, the, the creeper off a of Tinder that you met that's stalking you. Now they don't talk about that. That's normal. That happens to everybody. So why, who's going to come to a class on that? They want to talk about the, you know, knife versus knife or how to yeah. stop a serial killer or et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. that's a problem. So the 70, 30 is super important. Yeah. Number two, which is a myth. The quote is, or the stat is around a lot and people keep re regurgitating it, but I have a bigger uh, understanding of it now because I needed to know where that came from sure. is 40%, 40% of self-defense encounters involve multiple people. That's insane because almost nobody's training for multiple opponents in their self-defense courses, but 40% of the time there's multiple people involved in it. Now, yep. when I say multiple involved, I don't mean multiple attackers. I mean, it might be you and your family versus somebody. So there's, there's more than, you know, you versus them. Yep. And more these, to think about. These are yep. things that, yes. And these are things that people don't talk about. And yep. I'm going to use Ryan Hoover again. I saw one, he has a really good, uh, gun disarm video. I think he did it with a, a film crew and he's showing like, okay, this is the gun disarm we use. If you have a person here, obviously you want to go this way. If you have two people, you have to move this person first. And like, yep. that's the stuff that needs to be out there. You don't need a new gun disarm. If you have a workable gun disarm, yep. use it. But now you need to, you need to be like, okay, what if your friends are beside you? What if you're in the middle? What are the positions? And this is what people I think do incorrectly in the self-defense industry is they want the next thing. Chad Lyman of C of code four, he says it very well. He says, do a little, a lot. So train a yeah. few things in a lot of different multiple ways. And I can't, I can't stress how much I agree with that. So number two is there's going to be more people 30% of the time, at least in Canada, U.S., and Australia, and Europe, because I only did research on the first world. I didn't do any other countries. Sure. Uh, 30% of the time, there's more than one attacker yep. uh, attacking you. 
right? Uh, and that goes up when it comes to robbery. In robbery, it's very likely over 50% of the time there's more than one person involved in a robbery. Especially so in home invasions, looking, yeah. Exactly. So if you're looking at home invasions, you think you're like sparring one-on-one mentality is going to help you there. It, it may not, right? Because yep. people, people aren't looking at that. Why? Why are they not looking at that? Because it's hard to teach. It's hard to teach how to deal with multiple people because yeah. one person, one versus one extra person is not twice as hard. It's a compounding problem. So a second person becomes three times as hard. A third person becomes four times as hard, yep. right? So it, yeah. it doesn't just go up. Uh, by the number, it becomes harder and harder and harder because you can't track them. You can't do stuff. That's why when I teach classes, because I'm so aware of this, uh, I break violence into three categories, not two. So I still use the social, asocial stuff that I'm sure your listeners are aware of. Social being hierarchy stuff, predatory or asocial being stuff for resources or, or, or love of what they do. Yep. I also add group violence into it. So I say there's three categories. Yeah. There's social violence, group violence, and predatory violence because People don't talk about the group stuff because, again, it's hard to explain. And yeah. there's, there's an ego. I don't want to. I'm not saying every instructor. So please don't at me, everybody. Yeah. But a lot of instructors have an ego that they want to be able to answer everything. They want to be able yeah. to answer every question. Yeah. And so they just don't broach the topics that are icky. And that's where an it depends answer makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that's why there are instructors out there like that, Hoover being, I think, one of the foremost of them, who really look at the totality of the situation, because stuff is always going to change. Does a flying armbar work? Sometimes. Yeah. Right? It might. It might not. Who it knows? It depends. Yeah. So, go ahead. Yeah. No, I think uh, you make excellent points, because the 70% is seldom addressed in self-defense mm-hmm. training and you know that's what the 70 percent represents right are those situations yeah. that we're more likely to encounter so that's first and you know the the other thoughts that i have on your second point about not training for group is i have to give at least the training that i've received i have to give some of that credit in krav because we did train against multiple oh, attackers yeah. we did do drills against multiple attackers and the other part of that because we've talked a lot about it uh, across our podcast here and uh, a lot of folks talking about situational awareness and situational awareness not only applies pre-physical engagement or whatever, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of need and merit for applying situational awareness when you're engaged in fighting that tunnel vision and staying aware of other opponents and other people coming in. I mean, they even teach that in gun training, right? But yeah, uh, certainly in that fisticuff scenario, if that's where you find yourself, uh, you need to stay aware at all times. Well, yeah, and that's I 100 agree with that, and I have to agree with you. Krav Maga does do a very good job of of like you know scanning the environment, looking for other opponents. They do a, they do a great job. We still do a drill. It's, it was called stress test back in the day. I don't know what they yep. call it now, but three opponents right coming at you, get that yep. people do whatever. I I think that's really important, and a lot not a lot of places other than Krav have that. Yeah, that is, it's necessary needed. And I love your point. The way you phrase it is situational awareness is needed before and during and also after the encounter. Absolutely. Because what about retaliation? What about their friends coming at you? These yeah. are, these are things that people don't talk about. Like they only talk about the, the fight. They don't talk about the, the and I don't want to say they don't, cause there are people that do, but the, the majority of people aren't talking about pre, during and post contact. Yeah. They're only talking about contact. And that's, 
there's a problem there. Cause if you're already fighting, like you, you've made some mistakes, right? Most likely. Yep. A lot of stuff's gone wrong to get you to that point. Exactly. I think so. Oh, what? I was just going to say, talking about the post, you make a really good point about the ending of it too, and still remaining situationally aware. And I watched, a, I watched a video. It's almost some of these videos. People are like, "Why do you watch this stuff?" It's like because I want to know what things are really like. And so I watch a lot of yeah. horrific stuff that most people don't watch, but some should probably. <laughs> but I watched a. It appeared to be a verbal altercation, and it clearly was not stateside, but it appeared to be a verbal altercation. They weren't bowing up on each other necessarily. They, it didn't appear that they were yelling. They certainly weren't balling up their fist and going to that point. But one gentleman, I guess, turned around and started walking down the road one direction. The other gentleman went and got in his car, did a Yui in the middle of the road. And it's not funny, but it is because people just don't expect this kind of stuff. Talk about post situational awareness. And the guy just right. drove down the road and headed straight for him and ran him over, knocked him off into the bushes. And then I think he wound up stab getting out of the car and stabbing the guy in the chest, too. But I didn't. The, the, the focus was him just making a beeline for him in the car. And the point was the fight's not over until you're safe and home or the person person that's after you can't find you anymore and so you need to be aware and just because you walk away doesn't mean the fight's over so um having seen that example oh, yeah. recently was what made it pop into my mind is the craziest I, I thing i agree 100 percent with i agree 100 percent with that so i have a little matrix i like to tell people so the way i look at uh, aftermath of violence is immediate and then short-term goals, long-term goals. Yeah. So immediate is get safe. So yeah. like you said, I I have been the person that fought in a busy intersection because uh, the bar I worked at for a very long time, there was a big gang fight uh, in an intersection of one of our busiest roads in Edmonton. Yeah. So we're like punching and people are driving around us and so we hit by cars, right? Luckily I was looking around. Uh, I've always been really big on uh, moving my head around. Also I have, you've probably noticed, I have a little bit of ADHD and that's kind of a superpower in yeah. uh, self-defense because I don't focus too much on something. I'm always looking around. Sure. I've actually, I think I, I think I saved our bar probably thousands of dollars in replacement radios because when they drop, <laughs> I grab them. But uh, when, when we're in those situations, I've seen so many people win a fight and then lose the fight. They win the encounter, but they lose the battle because so first thing I say is get safe. Next thing is check for injuries. So yep. I was stabbed. No, I was stabbed. I've lost two of my friends have died in front of my eyes because um, they were stabbed. Didn't know it. So one guy got mm. stabbed in the back three times, collapsed his lung. His last, the last thing I said to him was making fun of him for his cardio being out of shape because he was panting and we should have looked for injuries. Yeah. Uh, one of my friends got stabbed through the neck and chased the guy. We didn't see the stab. He ran himself dead like a deer. So it, wow. it's important. First, you got to get safe. Then you got to yep. check for injuries. That's the next, the absolute next thing you have to do. Great point. And then after that, you need to report it to somebody. And when I say report, it's, it's police right now are having a very bad time. Yep. And I'm not anti-police. I never, I never have been. Nope. When, when people report, when I say report, they say I mean to the police, but we're using extreme example here. I loaded this with like being stabbed, but maybe report just means tell HR. Maybe report just means tell your mother that your uncle was weird. This is where people <laughs> lose this. So the, yeah. the, the immediate, the immediate goals are get safe, check for injuries, report. Yeah. Now, 
You can tell the police for sure. If you're in a country you don't trust the police, tell whomever you're with. You can tell your your the, the, the person who's in charge of your family. It doesn't matter, but you need to yeah. tell somebody because when you don't tell people, the instant, and unfortunately we live in very distrustful, people are very distrustful. If you tell somebody something after the fact very far down the road, they tend to not believe you. Yeah. And if you have something really horrible happen to you, and the first thing you run into is somebody not believing you, the odds of you reporting it again are low. Yep. You're not going to want to do it, right? Because you've had a horrible thing happen to you, then you went to tell somebody, and then they said you were a liar, and so now you're like, oh, I got hurt, but also nobody believes me. That's going to put you in a bad spot. Yeah. But if you don't repeat, if you don't report the thing that's happening, it allows the person to do that thing again. Yeah. So if, if, when, Predators choose their victims. They do something called grooming. So they check to see mm-hmm. which kids are, if these kids or women or men, it doesn't matter. Everybody gets predated on. Right. But they're picking people that aren't outspoken. They're people that don't have good relationships with their families, people that don't have a support structure, right? Yep. So honestly, your best, my, the best self-defense advice out there is have a support structure of people that believe and trust you because the odds of you getting selected in that 70% where the person's building a relationship is lower if your mother calls you every day yeah. and you can't go missing, right? You're yeah. going to get, they're going to get caught. Yeah. So you need to report it. So that's, that's the short-term goals. And there's like, oh, sorry, that's like the immediate. And then I have a short-term goals and long-term goals. And I look at it from three points. I look at it physically, psychologically, and then culturally, culturally being the environment you're in. So, you know, you might have to go to court. You might have to, you might run into people that don't believe you. And all these things aren't really addressed, right? Yeah. People talk about like an after action pat down. People talk about, <laughs> but they won't talk about like, you know, this is your, maybe your uh, grandmother doesn't believe you were sexually assaulted. She just doesn't. And like that, you have to live with that now. And that sucks. But yeah. if people don't tell you that's going to happen, uh, what is knowledge is the death of fear, right? So if you know that's going to happen, then you're not going to be affected by it as much when it does happen. And these are icky things to talk about, but they need to be talked about if you're really teaching self-defense. Yeah. If you're teaching martial arts, I don't give a shit. Don't. Right. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Count to 20 in Japanese. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. If, if you're teaching self-defense and you're not talking about the icky aftermath, as uncomfortable as it is, I don't think you should be promoting the self-defense. You should be promoting it as martial arts or combatives or whatever. And I think that's a really good distinction. Um, And and that's not to poo-poo martial arts. Martial arts have been around for a really long time, and they have a tremendous number of benefits, especially for children, but adults alike. But if you're you're training in pure martial art, you're likely not training for uh, self-defense or at least realistic self-defense. Uh, you know, go I agree. On. Go ahead. Oh, I was, I, was saying, I agree, and uh, yeah, I don't. I don't want to sound like I'm pooing on martial arts, on like traditional martial arts. No, I'm not right. No. It builds self confidence and leadership skills. Yes. It's amazing. Discipline. So it's just not, it's yeah. Just, yeah. But it just should not be sold as reality based self defense. Yeah. It just shouldn't. I couldn't agree more. Uh, going back to your number two step is checking for injuries. You know, that's a fantastic point. And so is reporting the incident. That's something that doesn't get talked about any at all. But just going back to checking for injuries, you know, with my with my background in history, you know, that's big on my list. And you may or 
may not have seen it across my podcast. You know, we talk about basic trauma care um, and not even in self-defense situations necessarily. But, you know, severe bleeding hemorrhaging is the number one cause of preventable deaths in trauma cases. So just Uh learning, you know, and basic first aid isn't enough, but just learning some basic trauma, um, especially when you're bouncing bars. Right. Just learning some basic uh, trauma, how to apply a tourniquet, whatever is even if you're not a fighter, you're a lover, not a fighter, you're a pacifist, <laughs> hippie, whatever, you know, you equate that all to, right? There's still an opportunity yeah. for you to learn basic trauma and be able to help in that regard or be able to patch yourself up if things really are bad. Well, exactly, right? And so, it dep- again, depending on where you live, but if EMS, emergency medical services, the ambulance can get you within yep. 15 minutes, it's shocking what you can survive. It is shocking. So the, another thing that people don't train, right, is, Hey, can you unlock your phone while your hands are shaking? Yep. Because if you can't activate your phone because adrenaline is the basal constriction of adrenaline is making your hands shake, then you can't even call EMS for yourself. Or do you at least know like iPhones, I think if you hit the home button five times, it calls uh, 911 immediately. But there's lots of really cool things that people don't add to their self-defense. We do a drill where we just destroy the people. We make them run around back and forth and whatever. So we start the drill. We start the drill with, uh, we need your phone on airplane mode and we want you to lock it and we're going to put it wherever you normally put it on your body. So then we train, we train, we train, we run, we're pushups, burpees, hit, 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 strike, yeah, strike, yeah. strike, grapple, standing, grapple, standing, grapple. And I'm like, all right, you're bleeding, call 911. And it's amazing how fast like, people drop their phones, people can't get it. These yeah. are these things that people think, like I hear it all the time, oh, I'll just call 911 or oh, I'll just call the police. Oh, you yeah. think when you're so scared that your hands are shaking you look like a ghost yeah. that you can just activate complex motor skills? Yeah. No, this needs to be trained into you, right? Yeah. And Absolutely. it only takes three or four times. Go for a jog, go for a run, run sprints or hills or whatever your yep. uh, anaerobic cardio is and then just try to use your phone and see how hard it becomes, right? And that, these are the little things that people take for granted. They yeah. take it for granted. They just they, they think that they're going to have access to this thing, right? Oh, uh, we were just hiking in the mountains, and I have a bad ankle right now. My ankle, I was, I got drunk and tried to show my daughter a skateboard trick at 40, and it didn't work <laughs> out very well. Uh, so my ankle, yeah. <laughs> my ankle is sprained right now. Yeah. And so we're climbing, we're climbing the mountains, and I'm like, oh, my ankle hurts. And they're like, okay, well, what are we going to do? I'm like, well, I brought an ankle brace with me. Uh, but also, like, we have to figure this out. Like, how long would it take for a team to get up here? I can't sit up here by myself. There's a bear warning right now. So these are just things that I think that technology has made us think that we do have this instant connectivity because we do, yeah. but you don't for real. But like, you don't. And if you can't access, you can't access your magic rectangle. If you can't get to your phone, then or your hands are shaking or you're bled out, yeah. like you're bleeding so bad <laughs> that you can't activate your hands. Yeah. Like these are things that people don't discuss. What I do, no. so as a person who's worked in a bar for a long time, I've had every bodily fluid on me, all all of them, unfortunately. Yeah. And so, what well, one time I was trying to get a guy outside, and I was trying to grapple him using a very uh, standing grappling. I'm a, I like standing wrestling. I think to me, if you can't standing wrestle, you can't do anything else. Yeah. So if you're a ground fighter and you can't standing wrestle, you can't take people down. And if you're a striker and you can't standing wrestle, you can't prevent from being taken down. So standing wrestling to me is all, it's the, it's the glue that holds every other system together. Yeah. Uh, I like Greco-Roman wrestling, judo, doesn't matter, but you need, to, you need to learn how to stand and grapple, you need to learn how to take a fall if you're really looking at, at, at fighting, because that's how fights work in real life. Yeah. 
So I was trying to I was trying to grab a guy, but he was uh, having a uh, very bad drug reaction, and he was so sweaty. He was so sweaty <laughs> that I couldn't I couldn't grab anything. Grease I couldn't pig. grab anything on him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I like I was trying to like do an arm drag, catching his elbow. Nope. Flip. Flip, flip. So after that, we did a class where it sounds very homoerotic, but we're pretty comfortable with ourselves. Uh, we baby oiled up. We put on olive oil and we tried to wrestle, and that that'll change the whole game. Changes the so whole this thing. Is where, like, yeah, this is where using, but that could happen if the person vomits on themselves. They're slippery. If the yep. person's bleeding, they're slippery. Yep. If the person is sweating, they're slippery. This isn't disgust, and that that's what bugs me when people are like, oh, I'm the baddest man on the planet because I do this, this, and this. I'm like. Man, if you can't apply your arm bar on a sweaty person, is your arm bar as effective as you think it is? Yeah. And, you know, talking about your losing your fine motor skills, you know, it gets talked about. But I don't think really people, because most people haven't faced violence, most people mm-hmm. haven't experienced these sorts of things like losing fine motor skills. So they don't even know what it means. And it doesn't translate very well to dialing 911 on your smartphone. But, no. you know, in, in high stress situations, your heart rate can skyrocket, you know, up to 160 yep. plus beats per minute, right? But you're talking about losing fine motor skill. You're talking about developing severe tunnel vision where it's like looking through a paper toweling roll. You're talking about yep. auditory exclusion. I mean, there's been officer involved shootings where the officer blast off how many rounds and he never even hears the round. So he has no idea what's happened you know or what's going on around exactly. him. and then i've also seen and for the life of me i don't remember where it was uh but i also saw somewhere that iq drops down as far as down to 70 points in high stress oh, wow. situations now i haven't been able to confirm that but i did come across that data point uh, a number of years ago but you're definitely going to lose fine motor skills go to tunnel vision and auditory exclusion you know you're going to lose your hearing uh if nothing else and then you know honestly you probably do uh what do they call it uh, resort to your uh lizard brain you know you're more primal mm-hmm. at that point so there probably is some merit to losing those iq points and, and again, I have received them anecdotally. That makes sense. People are dumb when they're scared. They're dumb when they're angry. They don't make the choices. And like you said, right, if they're if they're switching gears, because you're referencing the triune brain model, monkey, human, lizard, kind yep, of, yep. that survival mechanism, I think. Um, not the words in your mouth, Jim, sorry. Uh, but I'm assuming that's what you're referencing. I've just uh, said lizard. Gears, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. So when you're switching gears, that survival place, it's, do you need to know math right now? No. Do you need to know grammar right now? No. No. Right? Because the body the analogy i always use i'm a huge nerd jim if you haven't caught that from my uh my instagram stuff i'm a gigantic i'm the king of the nerds I got and uh, i always use the i always use um like spaceships in sci-fi as an example for what happens to your body under stress yeah so i say all right so you've all probably seen some kind of sci-fi show before we're gonna use every time they get into a battle they always say take the energy from the this and put it to the that that's what your body does, right? Yep. It shuts stuff down. That's why you get butterflies in your stomach because your digestion shut down because we don't need to eat right now. There's a bear here. So it starts to make executive decisions on what energy systems are prioritized and what things get shut down. Just like every sci-fi movie, when they're in trouble, they put more power to their forward shields. That's what happens to your body. And so I think, again, without researching, anecdotally, it does make sense that it would shut down parts of your brain. Like, do I need my neocortex right now? Probably not. Probably I don't not. need to, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and I know we've wanted to talk about this because I do want to talk about a newer program that you've started. And I think you're doing it mostly online, maybe exclusively online called reality realities of violence. And I do want us to talk about that. But, um, sure. you know, leading up to that, I just wanted to say, you know, that's one of the things that I thought we were kind of kindred spirits on. And it's a it's an <laughs> issue that I struggle with, uh, at least inside my own head is, you know, so much self-defense training, not even talking about martial arts, martial arts certainly fits the mold, but even in the self-defense world, it's uh, all about the physicality. It's all about the physical yep. training because it's it's the sexiness that sells, right? That's what brings students into your class. They're not signing up yep. for eight weeks of two-hour PowerPoint presentations three times a week, <laughs> right? But I've always thought and it's the struggle that I have, especially when it comes to trying to figure out how to make money. Money, right but that's a whole different story right um there needs to be in my opinion as much or more emph em emphasis on the education and information as much if not more so than the physical aspects and i think you agree with yeah. me based on what little bit i know I um yep and so i'm assuming that realities of violence is just for that purpose uh, or yeah. primarily a lot of it anyway, because I think that's a, you know, we talk about the fallacies and yada, yada, yada. But in my head, for whatever it's worth, in the self-defense community, you stand to gain a lot more benefit if you just are a little smarter about things, even if you don't know how to punch somebody in the face. Yeah, I, I, I think punching people in the face is a highly overrated skill, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of other things you can do to, to do better stuff. But yes, no, I agree 100% with what you're saying. So for me, I have a... I do have, I have a podcast and I had an old podcast with a partner called talking to savages that obviously didn't work PC wise. It wasn't a great title, <laughs> but, uh, we, uh, going, but going forward, we had a guy in the show named Eric Harzer. He is a trauma counselor. He drives around, deals with traumatic situations. A uh, really good guy. And his, uh, thing with, with this kind of thing is, I think because it's, like you said, it's, it's sexy to do the physical stuff, but the most important stuff is the, is the soft skills in self-defense realistically, right? If your self-defense system is teaching you how to get into a fight, it's combative, it's masquerading as self-defense, not self-defense. Yeah. The goal of self-defense is to not get hurt at all. Um, and I make this distinction when I talk about uh, distance and proxemics. I use something called the shifting guard. Uh, a lot of systems like to put up, uh, I'm going to say the fence, but I'm not picking on Jeff Thompson. I just, people put out their hands hands and they stay in a static position yep. and then they're like, okay, now if somebody does this, you can do this, this, or this. I'm like, okay, the static position is allowing them to hit you. If you keep moving, they're not going to hit you. So I'm not trying to hide my cool ninja skills in a self-defense place. My goal is to not get hit at all, as yep. opposed to if they do hit me, what to do. Yep. And I think that's a fundamental flaw in a lot of the thinking, but with the soft skills, Eric Harzer, like you said, he, when he works in group homes, nobody wants to eat vegetables, right? Because vegetables aren't fun. Yeah. So they would blend the vegetables up and hide them in meatloaf <laughs> so the people would eat meatloaf and get their vegetables. So, so while I'm punching, you're going to be talking to me the whole time. <laughs> correct. So that literally, yeah. that literally is my, that's my model, right? Is we get them in for the sleek, sexy stuff. Yeah. But then also like each class, we, I only do maybe each class they know we do a warm up, and then they get 10 minutes of vegetables and then 40 <laughs> minutes of, of meat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that, 
that 10 minutes is the most important part. So I really sure. like to, I normally, I normally hide the vegetables in the meatloaf. Yeah. Uh, this online really? course is just straight up a salad. There is no hiding of anything. Yeah, yeah. It is all, it is all soft skills, but it's, yeah. it's aimed at the people. And again, I'm going to go back to, the, to the, the groups that I work with. So many people that I work with have been so victimized that starting with physical skills is a great way to re-traumatize them. Yeah. It's, it's a great way to yeah. to ensure they never come to a martial arts class again. And a lot of people, a lot of instructors like to pat themselves on the back because, you know, they had this, this client come in and, you know, they were really meek and, and scared and now they're not because of their training. And they take most of the credit. Like, I can't believe, look what I did for this client. Yeah. I'm like, you didn't, you, you were, you were the path, but you were not the journey. That person had to work up the courage to email yeah. you. Then they had to work up the courage every day to come to your class. Walk through your you front didn't door. Do shit there. Yeah. Exactly. And, and potentially walk through the front door every single time. Yeah. I have a client who has now had a client who is now like super fit, looks like a superhero. But when I first had him, he was a very small person. I was very scared of everything. And he told me like what he became like Captain America, which he looks like now. He decided to go to CrossFit after he did with us. Now he's just super jacked. But <laughs> he, uh, when he first started training with us, he's like every day he had a panic attack. Every single day for intro class, he had a panic attack. Yeah. I can't take credit. I can't take the credit. I, I definitely helped. I pointed the way up the mountain, but I didn't put him on my back and walk him up there. Yeah. In these situations, while yes, we are helpful. We, again, we're, we're the, we're the guide. We're not the person making the journey. And I think that's an important distinction. Yeah. But also this soft skills class is the way I put, put together is ideally this is the class for people that don't know what to look for in a self-defense class, but also is if you've been doing martial arts for a long time, yep. these are the things you should be telling your students. So it's designed for both. Here's what violence looks like. This is the educational part. You're going to need some kind of physical skills eventually, but now you know what to look for when you're going to the place you're going to. But also it's been really enlightening for a lot of instructors that are mostly doing physical skills uh, who are like, Oh, I didn't even think about that or talk about that. So this, the course right now, it's the first version of it is just soft skills. It is five or six modules. It's about four hours in total. Yeah. And we cover, uh, educational foundations of violence. That's the name of it. So we cover the foundation. So, you know, the three types of violence, here's the myths of violence, right? Multiple attackers, the myth of 90% of street fights go to the ground. That's actually a misreading of a study from the LAPD fights do go to the ground, but not nearly as much as 90% and not in the way that a lot of people say they go to the ground because people don't stay entangled. Like, yes, you go to the ground, but they don't start wrestling you. They start punching you. Right. So it's a different situation. So we, we discussed that we discussed multiple opponents. We discussed tactics of predatory or asocial violence versus the group tactics versus the social tactics. We talk about pre, I call them, so I call them pre-escalation indicators, yep. but they're known as like pre-attack use, right? Yep. But again, because I'm not just talking about fighting, escalation just means the person starts yelling. And the same things that somebody does where they're going to punch you are the same things they do before somebody starts to yell at you, yep. right? So I like to use this pre-escalation because as you could tell, I don't like to just talk about the, the, the fighting part. There's yep, yep. so many other things are going to happen. Yeah. So we do pre-escalation indicators. We talk about the aftermath. Um, for the course, for the Canadian listeners, if you're listening to the show, we have a whole 30 minute talk by a law enforcement officer on Canadian self-defense law. Uh, so it's, it's all the soft skill stuff you need to know before you move on. So aftermath, multiple opponents, sudden violence, common uh, commonalities, goals, and it's just things that will 
if you've been training physically for a long time, I don't yeah. want to say this course is all you need because you want to keep researching, but it's a really good primer to get you asking the right questions to help you help your students better. Yeah. That's the goal of the course. Yeah. yeah. Just to make you think, if nothing else, you may not be able to change someone or make them do something different, but hopefully you can at least make them think about something they haven't thought about before. Yeah, and it, it's really been uh, pulling. So I, uh, do you know the word toque? Do you know what that is? Like beanie? A toque is a Canadian word for beanie, like a hat, like yeah, a yeah. hat over your head. Okay. Yeah, so we call it, we call toques here. And so I always say like pulling the wool over, like getting the wool pulled from over your eyes is yeah. something that happens in a lot of situations. And yeah. This course will help take some of that away. But honestly, the more I dive into this, it feels like I'm, I'm wearing unlimited toques. Yeah. So like I get one removed, I'm like, aha, I understand. <laughs> and then I research yeah. something else, I'm like, oh, there's a new toque. There's another uh, one. Aha, now I get it, right? Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. So this will definitely help. This, this course, we've had great reviews from a whole bunch of people all over the world. People are taking this. Awesome. I'm very happy with how, how well received it is. We've been received in six countries. People are certif- certified. They have the, the study group badge. Um, cause I don't certify people. That's not what I do. I'm yeah. here to educate point the way you certify yep. yourself. Uh, so, but in those areas, we're having a great review because it's just, again, it's, it's a really deep dive. It's, it's four hours and it doesn't sound like a long time, but you clearly hear how quickly I speak. Uh, and also I edited out all the pauses. So it's a dense, <laughs> like a very dense four hours of yeah. education. Yeah. And it's cut up into bite-sized pieces. I think the longest video is outside the legal talk, which you can skip if you're not from the, uh, Canada, unless you're interested. Yeah. Each video, the longest one is like eight minutes long. So you can do a bite-sized, you can do it on the teachable app. You can listen to it. There's quizzes. Um, and it's just, it's, I, I, I was, of course, proud of it, but uh, why wouldn't I be proud? I wouldn't really say something I'm not proud of. But what I'm really excited about is the response that it's getting. Yeah. The people who are, you know, people are filming videos and, like, sending me video reviews. Like, I didn't ask them to do that. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'm really happy with the volume. But if you like the stuff we talked about, so I'm talking to your listeners now, yeah. listeners, if you like the stuff I was mentioning earlier, all of that is in the online course. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really cool. So uh, one last question, because you've spent a lot of time sure. with us, and it's been great. Uh, no I'm problem. sure we can go on and on and on, because I love talking about all this sort of stuff, and just questions keep Me popping too. in my mind, the topics we could go off on <laughs> tangents on. But the, 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 the one question that I've had, and, and a number of months ago now, I actually wrote it down in my notebook where I take all my copious notes of things. It's the thing that's been bothering me. Um, um, or the thing that I've been trying, the riddle that I've been trying to solve is mm-hmm. if I were to ask you, how do we get people, women, you know, whoever, people more invested in their personal safety, Randy? That's a great question. Um, I think the best way to advocate for that is to make them discover it themselves. So when... I always say if somebody if I teach you something, you have to remember it. If you discover it on your own, it's yours. Yeah. So if you figure out if you figure out like a technique, so let's say we're working knife defense, and I I can say a hundred times, right? You know, do this, do this, do this. You have to memorize yeah. that. But when you're like when you get it, you're like, oh, you mean this? And you're like, yeah, I've said that a hundred and fifty times. <laughs> right. But when they discover when they discover it, that's what does. It. So for me, I 
all the time I'm talking with people who are looking at self-defense, it's not about me telling them what I can do for them. It's about me asking what they're looking for. And when you get those people talking about their concerns, their concerns then create the inertia for them to then take follow-up training. So when people come to me uh, and they sit down in the office like, hey, we're here to take self-defense class. Like, cool, why are you looking at self-defense? I'm like, oh, I want this, this, and this. And so the first thing is I hate wasting time. I'm a former salesperson. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to waste time with people. <laughs> and uh, I'm, a, I'm what's known as a consultative salesperson. So I'm here to get you what you want. I'm not here to sell you something bigger. So I used to work in electronics like forever ago. Yep, yep. And uh, I always got yelled at, right? Like, why aren't you too. selling the big ticket item? Yeah. Pardon me? I did too. I, I, <laughs> You did too. Oh, yeah. crazy! I sold crazy. I sold small electronics at a uh, at a shop in uh, down here in the states. Yep, back in the day, sure did. That's awesome. I think we are kindred spirits. I totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. But I was always selling on the what do you need, not what gives you the biggest commission, not what right. you know. Okay, so you need this, you need this, and it worked out really well for me. Yeah. Um, I have a book on how to build a biz, a gym called uh, Selling Out Your Level of Comfort. It's yeah. out there somewhere on Amazon. Um, and I tell a story in it where this grandmother came in and she wanted to buy a $38 microwave, like 38 or 68. It was cheap. It was like not like commission of like six cents. Yeah. And I spent, I spent three hours with her, three hours going over <laughs> the settings and how it works and all this stuff. And everybody laughed at me. They're like, Oh, you're so dumb. Why didn't you just get her the item? Get her rather. It's like, I sold eight beds and two TVs and blah, 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 blah. And yeah. those are high ticket, uh, high commission items. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, anyways, like three days later, that little old lady came in again and she was walking with a young man and she walked up and it was, ha, ah, that lady's back. She goes, Randy here. And she asked me, Oh, how can I help you? She was like, this is my son. My son is a contractor. He <laughs> wants to buy all his appliances forever from you now. Cause you were so nice to me. Uh-huh. And so then awesome. I got the last laugh, right? Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. That's awesome. So I do. I do the same thing with my clients. I have turned away so much business. Instead of trying to convince them what they want is what I do, if they hit certain words with the person, like, oh, I want to, like, you know, really get into shape, become super top, and, like, compete. I'm like, hey, we're not the gym for you. Here's a list of gyms. Yeah, here's a list of gyms you can go to. So to answer the question is, ask to me, and everything is, is getting them engaged, is why are you looking for self-defense? Okay, that's interesting. Oh, can you tell me your experience? And then just, most people, especially with women, they're so used to being told what they should have done. Yeah. And they're so used to being told what, you know, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Or, oh, if you would have trained here, you would have done this. And it kind of, it's a little victim blaming. It's not intentionally it is, but it is. And the second they hear that, they shut off. In my experience. Yeah. When you're talking with somebody, if you're there to truly listen to them, hear, and then reinforce their reality with that that you know, like, oh, you know what, you're actually, I hear what you're saying, and that that's consistent with this, this, and this, then they're like, oh my God, this person understands, and they're willing to work with me. Yeah. I am a, I'm a six foot one, 250 pound, white, straight male. Yeah. There is no reason on the planet so many women should work with me, but yeah. they work with me because I'm not telling what I would do. Yeah. I'm asking them, what is the issue? Okay, that's what we're seeing. And also, when I say something and somebody comes at me with their worldview, if it's contradictory to mine, then I listen still. Yeah. The biggest issue with this self-defense 
world is that so many people, this is a really big thing with rookie coaches. Rookie coaches want you to know you made the right choice by picking them, by showing you everything they know instantaneously as fast as possible, right? Yep. Like, look how good I am. You made the right choice. This is awesome. <laughs> and while that's not bad, it's not helpful for the client because you're kind of, no. you know, you're making a drink from a fire hose, right? Yep. Like, look at all the stuff I know. When people come and work with me, they're like, oh, man, this is really, like, really slow and basic. I'm like, yeah, honestly, the first 10 lessons of these things are really boring for me. Like, what do you mean boring? I'm like, you know, I'm just teaching the same stuff. But after lesson 10, then you start asking good questions. Yeah. And then we get to the fun stuff, right? And they're like, oh, cool. And that's, that's, I think, the big thing. So for me, to answer that question, how do we get them more involved? It's just have better conversations with people and have a conversation. Don't wait for your turn to reply. Yeah. Actually have a conversation. Hear yeah. what they're saying. And that's what's going to invest them. I've had lots of people at parties. I often don't say what I do for a living yep. because you get like, you get like the tough guys and right. uh, whatever, or my dad, my dad was ex Navy SEAL special forces. He taught me how to kill people with thumbs. So I was trained <laughs> and I'm so, I'm so sick of that. So, yeah. uh, most of the time I just say I'm in sales. Yeah, I'm in sales. I'm in sales. Like, cool, whatever. Yeah. Then they ignore me. I'm a but web designer. When people do, Exactly. That's exactly what you did earlier, right? I'm a web designer. It's it, it solved that problem. But yeah. I've had a lot of conversations with people when they come to me. I'm like, oh, what about this, this, and all oh, that tracks with this? Who've come to train after? Because again, I'm not selling them. I'm just explaining we can maybe solve some of your problems. Yeah. And that's to me the best way to get this information out there is be like, look, I'm a consultant. You can work with me or not work with me. This is what we do. And that's why I've moved from law enforcement and all the cool tactical skull yeah. emblem stuff too, just like people, like yeah. just regular, just regular people. and that, that, that's yeah. what makes me happy. Yeah. 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 Just meet them where they are. It sounds like. Exactly. Meet them where they are and, and val validate them. Like their experience is true. Like I've heard so many instructors, people that have worked for me, I've heard them say, well, that's not really how stuff happens. I'm like, it didn't happen to them. Yes. Then that's how stuff happens. Like just because statistically that's not what happens. If it happens to that person, then that is how stuff happens. Yep. Absolutely. To them, people, it's what they know. Exactly. To them, that's all they know. Yeah. Stats, stats matter when you're building a class, but stats don't matter in real life. Right. And that's, that's what people need to understand is if I'm building a course to hit the most people I can hit, stats matter. But if I work with one person, stats do not matter. If I say statistically the most likely knife attack is an underhand, and somebody comes after an overhand attack, you can't be like, whoa, 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 Randy says statistically you're not going to do that. That's just <laughs> right. not how that fucking works. Right? Yeah. Not, sorry, I don't know if I swear. That's not how that, that's not how that works. Yeah. So people need to understand while the stats are important in order to get a, a picture of violence, Stats don't matter in the encounter. They just don't. You have to deal with what you get. And yeah. that's a big disconnect for some people. Makes sense. Well, Randy, this has been great. I really appreciate uh, us finally being able to connect and, and get this uh, knocked out. It's It's been awesome. We're, uh, we've uh, been going at it. And like I said, I, I could keep asking questions and keep talking. I, I, I eat this stuff up. I love it. Uh, how can people find you? How can they learn more? How can they find out about realities of violence and all your other good stuff you're doing? Awesome. So number one, I'd love to be on the show again so we can talk more. Number two, let's yeah. a little subtle one. Number two, uh, so honestly, uh, I made a weird choice in my marketing and I kind of love my own name. So all you have to do is type in, <laughs> all you have to do is type in Randy King Live and you'll find me. So At least you own it, right? 
Yeah, exactly. So Reddit King Live uh, on Instagram. My website is redditkinglive.com. If you go to the online training on that page, you'll see my blog, my videos, the podcast, everything's all that's the hub to the Randy King Live machine. Um, you can go there and check it out. If you're local, KPC Self-Defense as well. But if you're international or not in Canada or anywhere else, the randykinglive.com or Randy King Live. And that's even the, even the podcast called the Randy King Live podcast channel. So my name live, you'll find me for sure. That's awesome. Well, Randy, we appreciate you being on and thanks so much. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.